and welcome to Just a Couple of Horrors. I'm your host, Brianda, the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> Before I start, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for listening. I'm very thankful to all of the people who have given me feedback. I appreciate every single one of you guys that have taken the time to let me know that you've listened and given me tips and pointers. You guys are awesome and I truly appreciate you guys. It's such a cool feeling to know that something you've worked on and you've created and spent a lot of time to to get out is being, you know, out thrown out into the world for everyone to hear. Um so again, it just means a lot to me that you guys have taken the time to listen and let me know you guys are the real mvp today <laughs> so today we're going to take a dive into the murder of zona Shu, aka the green briar ghost the resources that i've used for this episode are green briar wv.com and that's the actual greenbrier west virginia website the story has uh been part of west virginia lore you know in this area in greenbrier and it's really cool to see that it's part of their county website another wet another source uh was wikipedia the the mother of all sources uh heather monroe top medium.com west Virginia Hunts and Legends dot com, gothicstories.com, westvirginiaexplorer.com, and I was also able to get some county records. I realized that in my last episode I didn't actually state my sources, so I just wanted to, you know, clean house, make sure that I gave credit where credit was due and, you know, uh dot the T's and and cross the I's, right? <laughs> but Wait, I think I said that backwards. Cross the T's and dot the I's. Yeah, cross the T's and dot the I's. No, I said it backwards. Anyway, I did a lot of research for the specific story because there was a lot of uh, information. There was a lot of information to sift through in what was lore and what was fact. Uh, And you guys will see what I'm talking about once I start to get into the story. Um, So this is kind of my best shot at piecing everything together as as factual uh, as the factual parts can be. So here we go. Strap in. Pull you a little drinky drink and sit that butt down. Okay. Zona Elva Heaster was born at the foot of Little Sewell Mountain, uh, a bit north of Metal Bluff. Bluff, uh, Greenbrier County in West Virginia. In 1873, she was the middle child with four brothers. She was raised in a very religious home and very little information is known about her early childhood. I was able to find that she was brought up near Richlands and that she gave a child, she had a child out of wedlock. This baby was born in 1895 when she was about 21 or 22. And I say about 21 or 22 because I I couldn't find her birthday. Um, And this is a really big deal because back then, one, you know, her parents were really, really religious. And two, times were really, really hard, you know, to make a life for yourself, let alone adding a child into the mix. And she had no husband at the time. 
again, it was really, really hard. And it mattered if he had a husband or not because the husband was supposed to help provide for her and her child to bring in, you know, to bring in the loot. So no husband. She was shit out of luck. It was suspected that the father was a George Wooldridge, and it was also said that George didn't have any money, didn't have much of a job, didn't really have anything going for himself. So how could this guy take, you know, on supporting a wife and let alone a wife and a child? And that's and that's even if he was thinking about marrying her, right? It wasn't going to happen. So according to the story, he was just a suspected father. It wasn't confirmed that he like truly was the father. But it was like like it was like 89.9% sure <laughs> that that, you know, that he was the father. I went to Ancestry.com and Roots Web, which is, a, you know, another site that's similar to Ancestry.com. And I found very little information about Zona. But they had information about her father, her mother. They had their birth dates. But again, they didn't have Zona's birthday. And to me, that was just so strange because this story is really, um, this is this isn't like an obscure no one's ever heard of it kind of a story this is part of west virginia's lore in greenbrier county so i don't know why no one has her birthday it's so strange i've looked everywhere and everything that i found has given me information about her mom her dad her brothers all that stuff but not but not zona it's just I I don't know. Also, I couldn't find a lot of detail about her baby other than the baby being a baby boy who was born on November 29th, 19, sorry, 1895. Other than being a baby boy, I couldn't find anything else and I I truly mean I couldn't find anything else. Uh the baby vanished after being born. There was no name, no weight, no there was no information i thought about why it is that i couldn't find any information and i thought about uh, i thought about a couple of things you know these were some really harsh times and maybe the baby died early on you know there was a lot of people who who died during childbirth there was a lot of children or babies who died during childbirth medical issues and complications that could have happened i mean we don't know um i've also <laughs> i've seen firsthand how quickly a normal childbirth can turn into a fucking shit show right emergency c-section and everybody's running around and you're hoping that everything's gonna turn out okay and i've seen people in the last couple of years have you know emergency complications and where their pregnancy was completely normal and their delivery went completely awry and the mother ends up you know losing too much blood while they're at the hospital and this is while they're at the hospital so you can imagine that in 1895 there was a plethora of things that could possibly go wrong and due to the medical you know advances in technology that they had at the time you know i can see the the things i can see these things being an issue and it wouldn't be crazy to think that some there could have been a medical issue with the baby very early on 
Another thought that I had is that maybe her parents made her give up her baby. As I mentioned earlier, they were very religious, quote, God-fearing family, unquote. So maybe it was a, a tarnish, you know, a blemish on their image. They didn't want it affecting how they were perceived and viewed and it could cause an embarrassment. I mean, aside from all of this, again, these are super harsh times in West Virginia, specifically in this area. It was not an easy ride. Not to mention that just, again, the whole health healthcare situation. I keep thinking about that. I mean, you know, you can die from a cut if it gets infected. Um, but we have, you know, Neosporin. <laughs> we have clean running water. We have rubbing alcohol. We have hand sanitizer. Back in those days, I, I know that sanitation wasn't the best that it could be. And people would die for really weird reasons. I mean, you know, it's just something that I thought about. Anyway, moving on. In October of 1896, Zona met a drifter named Erasmus Straibling Trout Shoe. <laughs> Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe. Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe. He was a tall, muscular, black-haired, blue-eyed, handsome man, according to reports. He was in his 30s when he moved to Greenbrier County from Droop Mountain in Pocahontas County. And he was in search of a new life as a blacksmith. He found work at a blacksmith shop who was owned by James Cruikshanks. Crookshanks, like Hermione Granger's cat, you know, Crookshanks. He lived in Livesay Mill, a small town about five and a half miles from Lewisburg. Zona and Trout met and sparks flew. I couldn't really find information, like specific information as to how they met. Um... I don't know, maybe Zona stumbled into the blacksmith shop, you know, buy a horseshoe or a sword. I don't know what blacksmith. <laughs> a sword. I, I don't really know what blacksmiths do. Um, you know, I've seen Game of Thrones and stuff. So maybe maybe she was looking for a sword, you know, the good old good old needle or oathbreaker or oathkeeper. My bad. <laughs> but either way. They meet and, you know, sparks fly, the birds are chirping, the sky is blue, and they fall in love. A few seconds later, they're married. Just kidding. No, but seriously, they married on October 20th, 1896. Okay, remember, they met in October and they're getting married on October 20th. Um, and they got married at the old Methodist church in Livesey. Uh, Zona wore a beautiful burgundy high-colored dress and the two moved into a two-story home on the opposite side of Sewell Mountain, away from Zona's family. Fun fact, Zona's mom lived in a home that was owned by the town founder, William G. Livesey. I thought that was really cool because, you know, like, that's, that's Greenbrier history, you know? <laughs> But they get married despite the objection of Zona's mom, uh, Mary Jane Heaster. She so Mary Jane's mom. I mean, Mary Jane is Zona's mom. Right. And her mom took a look at this guy, Trout, and said. Now, nah, homie, this dude is looking hella sus like F that guy. Something in her gut told her this guy's bad news. Stay away from him. But nope, Zona married him. 
And you know what? She wasn't wrong. He had been married twice before. His and there's nothing wrong with being married a bunch of times. Like you, you know, do your thing, live your life. But let me tell you, his first wife divorced him after he abandoned her and their child, a baby girl. And the second wife was killed in what he claimed to have been an accident. He said that he accidentally dropped a brick on her head while he was making repairs on the roof of their home back in Pocahontas County. Now, tell me this. How do you accidentally drop a brick on someone's head? Right? I can see things sliding off the roof, but like dropping a brick... And hitting someone square in the head, killing them like one brick, okay? Just something, something sounds fishy, trout fishy. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I I had I had a glass of wine, okay. So, hey, this guy is just something else. And let me tell you, he's also spent two years in prison for stealing a horse. Now, let's go ahead. Let's let's rewind. Let's think about this. This guy's been married twice, which is, again, which is totally okay. Live your life, boo-boo. But he abandoned his child, abandons his wife, accidentally kills his second wife by dropping a brick on her head and has sticky fingers for horses, spends two years in prison. Is this someone that you want your daughter to marry? Hell no. This doesn't sound like your dream son-in-law, right? That you're going to go golfing with or is going to help you cook and clean or, you know, at family events. Like, no, this this isn't the guy. So besides that, besides Zona's, you know, family not agreeing with the union, everything was going great. It's sunshine and lollipops for Zona and Trout. Everything seems to be going well, at least for the first couple of months. And suddenly, Zona falls ill. There were rumors that she was pregnant again and that perhaps maybe this was the reason that they eloped so quickly. And I mean, again, it was fast. They met in like weeks. They had a shotgun wedding per se. Trout was, you know, witnesses say that Trout tended to his ill wife and uh, that he was ve- he was a very devoted husband and he truly cared for his wife when she was ill. Zona was treated by the family doctor, Dr. J.M. Knapp, and seemed to be feeling better within a couple of weeks. So this is the point where, you know, this is the point in our journey where we took a wrong turn and accidentally make a left, uh, you know, going up Shit's Creek, okay? Th- this is that point the event horizon on january 22nd 1897 it was a chilly saturday morning trout went to the home of martha jones whom he referred to as aunt martha they were close they were they would get along in the same fashion that you know you get along with people that are just your friends but you you're you're like family right so they were they were very fond of each other in a platonic she was an older woman you know they were very fond of each other so he started calling her out martha so he asks martha if her 11 year old son andy uh could do some chores for him you know uh like he wanted him to stop in and check on zona bring her some eggs because she was still feeling under the weather and was recovering from this mysterious illness because remember 
nobody knew what the illness was and it was rumored that she was pregnant but nobody knew anderson or as andy as uh, as his family called him was actually already running errands that morning he was doing miscellaneous uh, chores for dr knapp so martha said uh yeah well you know andy's busy but i'll go ahead and make sure that he drops in on zona when he gets back throughout the day Trout comes by, you know, to Aunt Martha's house and asks if Andy has dropped by. And she's like, no, he's still busy. But, you know, again, I'll tell him to to come by and check on Zona. He returns again. Still no dice. Trout returns a total of four times to check and see if Andy has gone by the house. And each time that he's stopping by and talking to Aunt Martha, he seems to be getting more and more impatient and bothered that he hasn't gone but by the time that andy is able to go to check on zona it's late afternoon so from the moment that trout stops at Aunt martha's house to when andy is actually able to go to you know the shoe resident it's been it's been hours like a, a couple of hours so Andy gets to the shoe residence, walks up to the door, knocks, and there's no answer. So he creaks the door open, just a little crack, and calls out for Zona. He actually calls out for Mrs. Shoe, you know, because she's Mrs. Shoe. But um, still, no answer. This, what I'm about to tell you right now, is a direct quote from Andy, a.k.a. Anderson Jones himself, and this is maybe 10, 15 years after the incident. I guess he's in his late 20s at this time. And I imagine him sitting on a sitting on a rocking chair, you know, smoking a pipe or smoking a cigarette. There's a banjo playing in the background and he's getting ready to tell us the most exciting and disturbing, <laughs> disturbing moments, you know, of his life. So this is what he says. Reaching the steps, I saw a trail of blood. That scared me, but I went to the door and knocked. No one answered. I tried it, and finding the door unlocked, walked into the kitchen. The trail of blood continued across the floor to the dining room. This door, too, was closed. Once more, I knocked, and getting no answer, walked in. I stumbled over Mrs. Shoe's body. There she was, stretched out on the floor, looking up at me through wide-open eyes. She seemed to be laughing. I was frightened, but still able to reach down and shake her. She was stiff and cold. Running from the house, I called out across the field to Aunt Martha. Mrs. Shoe is dead. As she ran to the house, I went down the road for Mr. Shoe, finding him at the blacksmith shop with Charles Tapscott. When I told him what I found, he let out a yell and with Mr. Tapscott started for the house. I continued on to get Dr. Knapp, end quote. So he finds Zona, he finds a trail of blood, he finds Zona, freaks out, has the work, has a moment of clarity to think, oh my God, I'm going to pick, I'm going to shake her because I don't know, maybe she's passed out, maybe she's sleeping, you know, taking a little nap in the kitchen, you know, on the floor with all this blood, but he shakes her, right? And this poor little kid, this poor little 11 year old is just trying to earn some, you know, some spending money, you know, maybe buy a little candy. Maybe he's trying to help his mom or whatever. And he ends up finding a freaking body, eyes wide open and touches it. This little kid, man, 
this little kid's a trooper definitely got more <laughs> than he bargained for i can't imagine you know you're looking at a dead body with their eyes open like i can't imagine that that image doesn't you know that it goes away i don't huh, so scary <laughs> it's horrible so andy's off to the doctor and uh trout and the other guy mr tapscott go to get zona right they're running to the house now i've watched a buttload of 2020 i've watched snapped confessions etc and this is the part where i'm like what the hell is trout doing right okay so dr knapp arrives to the house right and what does he find he finds trout in the bedroom yes the bedroom not the kitchen not downstairs where all the blood is no 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 no. he finds trout in the bedroom cradling the head of his dead wife and he's inconsolable the bedroom not the bottom of the stairs not the kitchen not where all the blood is no he took the time to carry her up the stairs clean her up and set the stage right when dr knapp gets there trout is with her body doc goes in and tries to resuscitate her but is unsuccessful he examines zona for any signs of of anything really and as as he's doing all of this trout is getting you know agitated mind you through the entire examination that dr knapp is performing trout is holding zona's head okay so picture it like this trout is at the at the head of the bed holding zona's head in his like cradling in his hands and the doctor is having to move around him around trout to do his examination like trout isn't moving and the doctor's like okay well let me just uh let me just walk over you know around you so i can see you know examine this woman and Shu just he won't move so doc over here is thinking okay well this is really weird but i guess maybe he's grieving and he knew that zona had had some previous health issues so he's thinking trout must be devastated doesn't think too doesn't think too hard on it but this is however enough odd behavior for him to be like yeah that was weird right so eventually the doctor determines that the cause of death is everlasting faint that's what it says everlasting faint but it was later uh changed to childbirth i found i actually found different causes of death like heart failure which you know heart failure i guess could equal everlasting faint um but remember there was a rumor that zona was preggy again right so obviously dr knapp knew zona's medical history because he was the one that had treated her before so i'm thinking that maybe she had a miscarriage and at the end of the day they ended up changing the cause of death to childbirth but anyway the doctor leaves trout asks for help from the other people that had come by the other neighbors to help him dress her they put her in a beautiful burgundy high collar dress sound familiar yeah well it's the dress the same dress that she got married in the same dress that she wore during her ceremony when she wed trout 
when I thought about it and I thought, you freaking bastard. Like, that's vile. But if I really think about it and I and I really just like sit down and relax and I think about it, <laughs> they probably put on her wedding dress because it was the only really nice dress that she had. These are, these are really harsh times and, you know, he was a blacksmith. He wasn't bawling, you know, bawling out of control. She didn't have a bunch of fancy, nice dresses. So that, I mean, that's me taking a stab at why they put her in that dress. So Dr. Knapp sends for uh, people to let Zona's parents know that their daughter has died. Her body is being accompanied by their uh, son-in-law and one of the and other people from L- Richlands. Two days later, they have a funeral, and Trout is still doing the whole, you know, grieving husband, crying out of control. There's moments that he's fine, and then there's moments that he's he's just losing it. He refuses to leave uh, his wife's side during the entire funeral, spending most of the time of the funeral cradling her head in his hands now this is noted in court documents uh he placed a folded sheet on the side of her of his wife's head and a pillow on the opposite side this helped to keep her head at an upright position so people at the funeral are sitting there like dude what the hell is going on they're he's acting really strange and then he continues to get weirder and weirder. They're taking her body to the cemetery. And he's just kind of jittery, pacing around, just flopping all over the place. Looking all kinds of sus. Like, dude, did you self-report? Like, what's going on here, right? We understand that your wife is dead and everyone griefs different. And who am I to judge, right? I, I'm no one to judge. I've I've experienced plenty of death myself. Very close, you know, calls and they're people very close to me so i know that grieving is a is a really strange strange process so who am i to judge but his peers his peers did judge and they questioned why he was acting so strangely why was he so nervous zona's obituary obituary ran in the Greenbrier Independent on page 3 on January 28th, 1897. And she was buried in a graveyard uh, in Methodist Church on January 25th up on Sewell Mountain in a grave which remained unmarked until 1979. So you can imagine uh, Mrs. Heaster, Mary Jane, Zona's mama, is very sad. Both of her parents are. They're just, you know, they're distraught. They just lost their daughter in a really strange, suspicious way. Taking what Andy told us, that her body was downstairs, that there was a trail of blood, and that when Dr. Knapp got there, the body was upstairs. This is just not sitting right with her parents. The cause of death everlasting faint or heart failure and then it being changed to childbirth the way that trout is acting he's with her the entire time cradling her head mrs heaster just has an inkling that something is not something's not fucking right 
So after the funeral, Zona's mom is woken up by a noise in her home. And Mrs. Heaster turns over and sees a shape, but she's still kind of half asleep. She can't really make out what it is. When her eyes focus, she realizes it's the shape of her daughter. It's Zona. Dressed in the very same burgundy, high-colored high collared dress that she was buried in. This freaking dress just keeps coming back, right? So Mrs. Heaster reaches out to touch Zona, but she disappears disintegrates like baby powder poof just freaking just gone right so the next night zona appears to her mother again but she's not just like a vague shape no she's flesh and blood corporeal she's cold to the touch for the next two nights zona appears to her mother to tell her the story surrounding her death to tell her what really happened to her Zona tells uh, Mrs. Heaster that she was beaten, choked, and murdered by Trout Shoe. Mr. and Mrs. Heaster are looking at each other and, okay, there's something seriously going on. Our daughter dies. This apparition of our daughter comes and tells us, like, I was murdered. Something is 100% going on. Remember, they're God-fearing religious people so this isn't something that they would really buy into they're not known to be superstitious so they're sitting there like something is definitely going on this is enough information enough suspicion to try to do something you know to dig a little deeper so they reach out to an attorney to get a, and they're able to get a conference with the persecuting uh, attorney john a preston who at the time was a really good lawyer they're able to convince him to give him enough facts and raise enough doubt to get him on board and to get the wheels going on this investigation. So first, he questioned Dr. Knapp. And Dr. Knapp is a sweet, you know, sweet little old man, he, this old physician. And he admits that the initial cause of death could be wrong. She had been ailing, but the circumstances surrounding her death had given him cause for suspicion. And both men agreed that an autopsy would prove whether or not Mrs. Heaster's strange theory was true. The next day, Preston and Dr. Knapp went to Lift Say Mill, informed Trout of their plans to exhume Zona's body, and ordered him to accompany them over to the mountain where his wife was uh, buried. They also took Aunt Martha and little Anderson along with them. Trout protested against this action, but he dare not refuse to go with them on this little journey. Um, throughout this journey, he kept saying, I don't know why in the name of God they're taking me up here for. They're not going to find anything. But boy, boy, Trout was wrong, right? On March 9th, Zona's body was exhumed. Such action, although not unheard of today, was not something that had been done before in Greenbrier County. This was a huge, huge deal. People were outraged and refused to even participate in the exhumation. But Preston told them that he, they had to do this or they would face charges themselves. So ultimately, they did. They dug her, they dug her body up. And they got her they got her up there, right? An autopsy was scheduled and Trout obviously protested, but 
as the next of kin, his presence there was mandatory. So either he'd go willingly or he'd go by court. Now, what he said next, to me, it's a clear cut. It's a it's a smoking gun. So just listen to what he said. He said he knew he knew he'd be arrested. But this is what he said. But they will not be able to prove I did it. That's what he said. But they will not be able to prove I did it. Why on God's green earth would you say that when your wife's body is being exhumed on suspicion? Like, that's such a suspicious thing to say. I think if I was in that situation, I'd, I'd, if I, if I killed her, I would be like, you know, I would try to find reasons to throw suspicion away from me, you know, but he's like, well, they're not going to prove that I did it. (laughs) You know, it sounds smug to me. They won't prove that I did it. But it also, it's how you read it, right? It's the context. It's how you read it. He could be saying, why the hell are they taking me up here? They're not going to find anything because I didn't do anything. Nothing happened, right? So he could be saying it, it in that way. But either way, first, they, you know, the the autopsy begins and they look for poison. But there's no trace of it in her body for three nights uh, for three days and nights, Dr. Knapp works over the body, seeking the cause of death. And during this time, Trout is sitting there just shitting his pants, right? On day three, the autopsy reveals that Zona's neck had been broken. Upon further inspection, it was determined that Zona's windpipe was smashed. On her throat, there were marks of fingers. Her neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured the windpipe had been crushed at the point of the front of the neck right so mr mrs heaster recalls this is a quote from mrs heaster suddenly the doctor turned to mr preston they whispered together for a few minutes then mr preston turned to shoe and said well shoe we have found your wife's neck to be broken shoe's head dropped a change came over him that I can't explain, but I cert- but it certainly proved his guilt to me. Right? So Zona's laid back to rest, and Trout is arrested for murder of his wife. On their way back, they stop at Trout's house and he cooks them breakfast. Okay? This motherfucker just got arrested for murder. Has hey. Let's stop at my house. Let me cook you guys some pancakes. <laughs> pancakes. Okay. He sits in jail for a few months until June 30th, 1897. And that's when the trial begins. So Trout hired or was assigned. It wasn't it wasn't clear clear cut. Um, but he but he got Dr. William Rucker and James P.D. Gardner to defend him. Fun fact. Uh, James P.D. Garner was the first black attorney to practice in a Greenbrier court. Now, this is the this is the last part of the 19th century, right? You've seen Django, 12 years a slave. Well, I can't imagine that having a black lawyer, the first black lawyer, 
did him any favors in West Virginia. (laughs) People had opinions on how black people should should act on what black people should be doing. And it wasn't, you know, being a lawyer at the time. So you can imagine that people people in Greenbrier County uh, had some sort of feelings they felt a certain type of way about this and and I can imagine that the jury everyone did so Preston goes in with cold hard facts uh how Trout is acting weird not letting anybody near Zona's head there was no autopsy and the defense sweeps in and they offer alternative theories explanations for the broken neck include uh, typical jostling of the body when they're dressing her or when they're putting her in the coffin or when they're carrying her in the wagon for 15 miles across frozen road. So they're trying to say like, yeah, maybe Zona's neck broke when they were trying to put her dress on her. You know, it was a really, uh, it was a really tricky dress to put on. So could have snapped her neck in the second vertebrae and smashed her windpipe. That's what they're trying to say, right? Rucker and Gardner then turn their attention to the root, to the trigger that led to the body being exhumed, to this autopsy being performed in the first place. And what is that? That's the visitation that Mrs. Heaster had by her deceased daughter's uh, Zona's ghost, right? And everyone's like, gasp, there's like papers rustling everywhere. People are like looking all around wide eyed and, you know, there's whispers and the whispers turn into yells all across the room. And then the judge hits the gavel and he's like, order, order in my court. (laughs) Right. It's it's a it's a fucking show. Right. So what do these dudes do? They put Mrs. Heaster on the stand. And it's thought that at the time they did this to discredit her, to discredit the entire case and to make her look unreliable and to make her out to be an unstable witness. But that's where they fucked up. So she goes up to the stand and immediately Dr. Rucker from the defense counsel loses no time in getting at what he calls the dreams, right? Now, what I'm about to read to you are the actual court transcripts and listen to this. Rucker, Mrs. Heaster, did you not have a dream that aroused your suspicion that led you to have your the body exhumed? Heaster, I had no dream for I was fully awake and as I am at this moment. Rucker, and did you not have a dream or vision that led you to have the body disinterred? Heaster, well, I was not satisfied that my daughter came to her death from natural causes, so I prayed that it might be revealed to me how she died. After about an hour I spent in prayer, I turned over and there she st- and there stood a- my daughter. Sorry. <laughs> I put my hand out to feel the coffin, but it wasn't there. She seemed to hesitate to speak to me, then departed. The next night, after I prayed again, the manner of her death might be shown she appeared and talked more freely giving me to understand that i should be acquainted with the whole matter the third night she appeared again and disclosed more to me and on the fourth night she returned and told me all about the difficult the difficulty how it occurred and how i was brought about here is what zona uh 
Hester uh, Heaster uh, told her mother. He came that night from the shop and seemed angry. I told him supper was ready and he began to chide me because I had not prepared meat. I replied there was plenty of bread, butter, applesauce, preserves and other things that made a good supper. He flew into a rage, got up and came toward me. When I rised up, he seized each of my side of my head with his hands and a sudden wrench dislocated my neck. Mrs. Heaster continued, uh, you know, to the remainder of the answer. Then my daughter went on to describe the home where she lived and surroundings in the neighborhood so that it was fixed in my head as reality. When I later described it for the people living near, they told me they could not have been more accurate themselves. As she told me, I could look back of aunt martha jones in the meadow in the rocky place that i could look in the cellar behind the loose plank and see her house was a square log house hewed up hewed right up to the square and she said for me to look at the right hand side of the door as you can go into the right hand corner well i saw the place exactly as she told me and i saw blood there as she told me rucker now mrs heaster the sad affair was particularly impressed upon your mind and there was not a moment during the waking hours that you did not dwell upon it? Heaster. No, sir. There is not yet either. Rucker. And this was not a dream founded upon your distressed condition of mind? Heaster. No, sir. It was not a dream. I was wide awake as I ever was. Rucker. Then if not a dream or dreams, what do you call it? Heaster. I pray to the Lord that she might come back and tell me what happened. And I pray that she might come herself and tell, tell on him. Rucker, do you actually think you saw your daughter in the flesh and blood? Heaster, yes, sir, I do. I told them the very dress she was wearing when she was murdered. When she was about to leave the room, she turned her head completely around and looked at me like she wanted me to know all about it. And the very next time she came back, she told me about it. The first time she came, she seemed as if she didn't want to tell me and as being as much forward. The last night she came, she told me she had done everything she could. And I am satisfied that she did too. Rucker. Now, Mrs. Heaster, don't you know these visions? Don't you know these visions as you term or describe them were nothing more or less than four dreams founded on your distress? Heaster, no, I don't know it. The Lord sent her to me to tell. I was the only friend she knew she could tell and put any confidence in. I was the nearest one to her. Shu gave me a ring and that he pretended she wanted me to have. But I don't know what dead woman he might have taken it off of. I wanted my daughter's own ring, but he wouldn't let me have it. Rucker, Mrs. Heaster, are you positively sure these were not four dreams? Heaster. Yes, sir. They were not dreams. I do not dream while I am wide awake, to be sure. And I know I saw her right before me. Rucker, are you not considerably suspicious? Heaster. No, sir, I am not. I was never that way before, nor am I now. Rucker, do you believe in the scripture? Heaster. Yes, sir. I have no reason not to believe in them. Rucker. And do you believe in the scripture contains the word of God and his son? Heaster, yes, sir, I do. Don't you believe in it? So the the there's more. <laughs> I mean, the transcript goes 
goes on and on and on but he's pretty much digging into her saying like yo are you sure this wasn't a dream and in your dreams when you dreamed about her in your dreams because that's what they were dreams were were you dreaming he's literally just kind of like saying the word dreams 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 over and over and over again but Mrs. Heaster's not budging, right? And in one of the the parts of the transcript, he asks her, like, did you touch her? And Mrs. Heaster says, yes, I touched her, like, up to her elbows. Like, she was flesh and blood. She was really, really cold. And, like, she was real, right? So the defense attacks her mercilessly, but it ends up backfiring because she's standing up there with her head high with dignity and sticking to her story. And the jury is buying it. The jury is listening to what she has to say. They believe she believed in the power of mother's intuition and the jury is believing it too. That the ghost of a murdered girl could appear to her was not was not unbelievable to them right and most of all that when a wife is killed that the husband is the natural suspect Trout took the stand on Tuesday afternoon, denied pretty much everything said by the others, declared that he dearly loved his wife, and appealed to the jury to look at his face and say if he was guilty. However, his testimony didn't have a positive effect on the jury. In fact, it backfired. It took the jury less than an hour to find Trout Shoe fucking guilty, and he was sentenced to life in prison. A mob formed outside of the courthouse and was prepared to serve him street justice. For some reason, during this time, people didn't believe that this sentence was going to be carried out. They had a feeling that he was going to be able to find some sort of loophole and weasel his way out of this. So that's why they came for him. But the police was able to take control of the situation and disband the entire the entire thing. And they were able to get Trout to to his prison. Right. So he served his time in West Virginia uh, State Prison in Moundsville, where three years later, he fell victim to the epidemic that was passing through his cell block. He died on March 13, 1900. 1900 damn that was 121 years ago wow that's such an even number too and anyway he was buried in an unmarked grave at a local cemetery not a graveyard a cemetery which is you know i thought about it and i thought why would they do that his wife was born uh, was uh, buried at a religious ground he was married at the religious ground and why would they put him in a cemetery and not at the graveyard i wonder if that was on purpose like he wasn't religious or he didn't he flat out like people knew that he wasn't a believer of of god you know and and didn't believe in that kind of stuff um it just kind of makes me wonder you know um you know, what do you do when you ain't got a shoe and all you want is a soul? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. But there were relatives of Trout Shoe who said that he had no motives because he loved his wife and he didn't kill her and he died an innocent man. So, you know, what do you do? But 
that's that's the that's it my friends that's the story of zona shoe the greenbrier ghost and the only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer it's crazy right freaking ghost comes back solves her murder and gets the guy convicted so bravo zona you didn't deserve this at all but you can rest easy knowing that this fucking guy paid and he died in prison as he should have and and now the spirits can can rest easy right but that's all for today folks i appreciate each and every one of you thank you so much for listening if you want to reach out to me through social media you can go to instagram and type in just a couple of horrors that's my handle I'll be posting some pictures about this case and, you know, tell me what you think. Did did old Mama Heaster really see her daughter's ghost or did she have a really vivid dream or did she just make this up because she hated this guy and knew that he was involved in her child's death in one way or another, right? You decide. I will see you guys next week where I will be bringing you guys just a couple more horrors. Bye.